You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjacks.com. Just saying that statement, Lord, help us to give in a way. No, 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 don't say that. Me just saying that, help us to give in a way that builds your kingdom at the expense of my own. Builds your kingdom at the expense of my own. I mean, that's just scary to think about because none of us like to live that way. We aren't wired that way. I mean, when we become a believer, we're filled with the Spirit. We need to be filled with the Spirit. We need to be empowered by the Spirit to give that way because it's just not normal. That is the antithesis of what we're taught by our culture, which is you need to work hard and take care of yourself, provide for your needs, provide for your kids' needs, watch out for your family, and do these things, right? And then Jesus comes on the scene and wrecks everything. Not that we aren't supposed to work hard still. We are six days a week. We rest the seventh to provide and take care of our families. Certainly, we're supposed to do those things still, but never trust in them. You see, this specific area, giving, and you've heard people quote this. You know, Jesus talks more about giving than anything else in the world. More about giving than sexual immorality than drinking than... Yeah, well, Jesus talks about it so much because it's something that enslaves our heart. Imagine, imagine for a moment, as a parent, if you're a parent in the room, or if you're not a parent, imagine you have a a best friend, and you sacrifice them for something. That you said, Nancy, I'm going to take your daughter, Annie Kate, I have to kill you for the sins of the church. And so we slaughter her daughter, okay? For the sins of the church, for your sin, for your freedom, okay? I know. Michelle's like, you don't use one of my kids, and I come up there and throat punch you. (laughs) And then we just went on living like it was irrelevant. Like the freedom she had brought us or bought us or paid for with her daughter's life was irrelevant. Giving is about freedom, And Jesus has died to give us freedom. He hasn't died because he needs our money. (laughs) Jesus doesn't need our money. Jesus wants our heart. And when we talk about following Jesus, it's not enough to say that we believe in him and then live like we don't care that the Father, the God of the universe, crushed his son for our sake for freedom's sake, and then never live in a way that's different. You see, I think giving is just a symptom. It's an opportunity for us to demonstrate what we say we believe. Do we trust in ourselves and our own ability, or do we trust in the Lord? Do we want the freedom that Jesus has for us, or do we want to provide that freedom for ourselves? Do we want to buy or earn or work hard to find that freedom? In the scripture today, we're going to show how Jesus demonstrates in his ministry that it's, it's more than just saying and knowing the right stuff to be a Christian, someone who follows Jesus. It's also in living in a way that demonstrates that. Casino Royale, for example. We say that how we get our mission done as a church is through the vehicles of evangelism and ministering and loving the poor and the hurting. That's how we do it. Those things are morphing as we grow, and I'm going to mention that a little later. But what if we never 
What if we just said, hey, guys, let's bring our pillows, let's bring our water bottles, and let's just kind of live inside the church. We're just going to live here from now on. We're not going to go mess with the world. We're not going to go talk to our neighbors. We're not going to go do any of that. What we're going to do is we're just going to huddle around and pray and pray and pray. We're never going to go into the world. Well, how would we be able to love the world that way? We believe that Casino Royale is a consistent reflection of God's desire to love the world, creating an opportunity where the lost feel like we're moving towards them. We can bring them into an environment to experience who we are. Some of you read my, my I posted on Facebook a quote of a, of a young woman who came, who said she hadn't been to church in years, hadn't darkened the door of a church for years, and that Casino Royale was the best night of her life since her wedding. That's, we're just trying to be consistent with what we say we believe. Do we really love the lost? Do we believe that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost? Because if we say that we believe it and never act differently, then there's an inconsistency there. We believe and run Casino Royale because it's a consistent reflection of our values as a church and as the values of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is there, are there things about it that are a little sketchy? Absolutely. But I'll tell you, I will tell you this. I will tell you this, that we will not get to heaven, and that's what Jesus is going to be talking to us about. Jesus loves when we risk for his sake. He loves when we bump up to that line, to that edge, and say, Lord, we need the crumb of grace to drop in our direction. Seek, look at our hearts. We're doing the best we can to love the world. If it's wrong, then convict us and show us another way. So it's, Casino Royale is just one of those ways. As we read stories in the Bible, we read about Jesus not only communicating the right truths about freedom and life, giving us hope and rest, peace that they're found in him, but he shows us what does that look like? What does that really look like? You see, I believe giving, as we talk for these next two weeks, I'm going to push us a little bit because I believe the opportunity to live sacrificially and give sacri- sacrificially is an opportunity to experience God's love, to experience God's power, his healing, his transformation, and his rest in a way that we would not if we did not live and give sacrificially. I believe that giving and living sacrificially are paths to freedom and to life to the full where we have to trust Jesus. In this story where we pick up in Matthew 16, Jesus is doing the rabbi thing and he has his little followers. He's been teaching, he's been preaching, he's been you know, being prophetic, doing the things that rabbis did back in the time, talking about truth. The disciples are with him and he asks them the question, who do people say that I am? And that's where the story begins. We're going to read that, and I'm going to talk to us about the importance of not only understanding the truth, but living in a way that is, that is, self, that is sacrificial. Let's read that real quick. This is Matthew 16, 13 to 17. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist Others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. 
Then he said to them, Who do you say, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say? You, meaning the group. Peter's responding in the plural. Simon Peter replied, You are Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Father, we pray that you would come and unpack this for us. Show us the truth that we would live differently. Amen. So up until now, the disciples are following Jesus. They're hearing his teachings. But then Jesus, through the power of the Spirit, clarifies in their mind the the most important truth that you could ever know. That he is the Son of God. The Son of the living God. On a scale of 1 to 10, truth being important, this is, uh, this is right up there with an important truth. Right along with Ohio State had no business being in the national championship. Thank you, Michigan State, for beating them. Right there. In terms of truth, in terms of truth, this was a biggie. You're the savior of the world. You've come to redeem our people. You are going to be, you're the one, you're the Messiah. Disciples are on board now. They know the right stuff. And so you would think at this point, having the right information, the right knowledge, they would just kind of cruise into Jerusalem, right? And it'd be like kind of happily ever after. And things would go smoothly from here on because they know that Jesus is the son of God. They know the right stuff, but the exact opposite happens. This is where chaos begins in Jesus' ministry, where he begins to have to show them what it really is going to look like. Because them knowing and thinking that they know is not enough. You see, one reason I think things went crazy is because we think that if we know the right stuff, we say we believe the right stuff, and never live differently, that we're okay. Are you a Christian? What do you mean? Well, what do you believe? Jesus is the Son of God. Okay, well, what else do you believe? What else do you think? He died on the cross for my sins. So then I can go live and do and be like everyone else still? Or should that translate into living differently? Giving differently? Distributing our resources differently? Loving differently? For a truth to be true in your life, it has to affect the way that you live. It needs to be reflected in the way that you live for it to be a truth by definition. If you say something is true, and then it's not reflected in your life, then it's not a truth that you believe. You can say that you believe it, but it's just a thought, or it's a theory. Truth is has to be worked out, not only cognitively in our minds, but practically, experientially, in the way that we live. Truth is only truth if it transforms the way that you live. My spiritual director said this to me one time, belief that does not lead to transformation is a waste of time. Belief that does not lead to transformation, you becoming a whole person, more like Christ, is a waste of time. 
the disciples had the most important knowledge they could ever have. Jesus was the son of the living God. But that knowledge was not enough. River City Church, when we started just over eight years ago or thereabouts, I always get confused on the years. The reason we started was because there was a group of evangelicals, people who knew all the right stuff. Some of us have been to seminary. Some of us have been in ministry. Most of us have been in churches for a long time. Good churches, really good churches under good leadership. And there was something missing. There's something missing in our experience of Jesus Christ. What we were reading in the Bible and what we were experiencing in life was inconsistent. And the reason we started River City Church, there was one reason. It wasn't because of ministry to the poor. It wasn't because of evangelism. It was because we felt like God was calling us to not only know the right things, And to teach the right things, but to live differently. To be led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. That again, many of us for years had known known Jesus Christ, knew who he was. But we knew nothing about the gifts of the Spirit. We knew nothing about intimacy with the Father. We knew nothing about experiencing God's love as our Father. We knew nothing about that. We said we did because the Bible taught it. But if you ask any one of us, What our experience was of those things, we were like babies who had just tasted from this new fountain of life, the Holy Spirit. And we said, we are going to start a church, or God said, we, I'm going to start a church through this group for the purpose of helping people understand the power of the Spirit and live out of that power. And that we are going to normalize the gifts of the Spirit. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about what does it mean to move in the power of the Spirit. To be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. That's why we started as a church. That's why we are here as a church. That's why River City Church exists. That's the why of who we are. Because we had all the right knowledge. And we were tired like the rest of the world. We were angry like the rest of the world. We were giving and living like the rest of the world. And we said there has to be more. There has to be more. And what I love about our church, especially after Casino Royale, is I know that today in this room, that you're sitting there thinking, that's me. There has to be more. I, I believe that. I believe that Jesus is a son of God like the disciples do. But why am I so weary? Why am I so tired? Why am I so frustrated? Why do I feel like my life is in chaos? Why am I worried about my finances? Where's the freedom that Jesus promised? We started River City Church because we believe that those things only happen through our first two pillars. Intimacy with the Father. Knowing that we are his son or his daughter. Our identity being grounded in that first. And then the power to live life. The power to do ministry. The power to extend his kingdom. The how evangelism, ministering to the poor and hurting, comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not our efforts. It comes through the effort and the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why we exist. That's why we exist today. And that's how we get our mission done. And like I said, those hows are morphing right now. And so it feels a little unstable. What's happening? We're going to move back to the community. Why aren't we doing the life course? Why aren't we doing this? Why aren't we doing this? Those are hows. But that's not why we exist. 
We exist to connect people to intimacy with the Father, to train people to move in the power of the Spirit, and to live that way. And then go change the world as a result of it. Those four pillars are always going to be pillars that we value and that we live and exist and demonstrate to our community. But like the disciples, it's so important that we don't believe the lies that it's all about the right knowledge. Is it important to think correctly about God? Absolutely. I've got to move on to the next point. And so, so that's the why, why we started. That's how we accomplish our mission through evangelism, ministry, the poor and hurting. But what does it practically look like? What is it supposed to look like? We see this in the next chunk of scripture. We see, and this is what happens. This is verse 21. Jesus, from, the, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So Jesus began to show them. It's not enough to think. I'm going to go show you now what this looks like. And Peter took him aside. Come here, Jesus. And began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. It's never good for Jesus to call you Satan. Just saying. On a scale of one to ten of bad truths. That's number one. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Why are you a hindrance to me? For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And then he goes on to say some of the most powerful things about where freedom and life come from. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, if anybody wants freedom, if anyone wants to be my disciple, if anybody wants me to be their rabbi, if anybody believes that I am the one who brings freedom to this, to this life, to your life, if anyone believes I am the hope, that I am the truth, that I am the way to the Father, if you believe that, then deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Hmm? Upside down kingdom. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give to return for his, in return for his soul? Yes, they knew that Jesus was the Son of God. No, they did not want to live sacrificially. No, they did not want to pick up their cross. No, they did not want it to cost them anything. Thank you very much. I believe, I think the right way. Isn't that enough, Jesus? Jesus' response is not no, but get behind me, Satan. They thought that Jesus was going to ride in Jerusalem conquer the Roman authorities with force. They'd picked out the seats that they were going to sit on. I want to sit on your right. I want to sit on your, you know, they, they were ready to roll with power, with self-advancement, with taking care of business the way that they felt like it was taken care of. And Jesus said, no, no. The way my, father, my father's kingdom moves forward is through sacrificial love. The way, if you want to experience life, then give up your life. If you want to experience freedom, then give up your freedom. If you want to be free, then become a slave to me. I must increase, you must decrease. 
If you want to find something, then lose something. It's backwards. It forces us to trust Jesus in a way that we never would have to. It was only about thinking correctly. Why would, I mean, Jesus was so harsh with Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Why would he say something so harsh to someone he loved so much? Because Jesus knew that for Peter to follow him, for Peter to lead the church, for him to be a disciple, that he would have to learn to love sacrificially, to live sacrificially, to give all of his life sacrificially. You see, what Jesus knew is that Peter didn't care about Jesus dying on a cross. Peter cared about him having to die on a cross. Peter didn't want to die on a cross. Peter didn't want to be sacrificial. Peter didn't, the disciples, didn't, they didn't want to follow Jesus this way. They didn't want to do the things that Jesus was calling them to do. They wanted to say they believed the right stuff, but then live in a way that wasn't sacrificial. That's why Jesus was so upset and so angry. It wasn't because they cared about him dying, because they didn't want to die that way. And I don't think any of us you know, I don't think Jesus would say, say that to any of us. I don't think he'd say to any of us, Satan, get behind me. My restored and transformed heart trying to figure this thing out is tough. It's hard. But I think this is the message that Jesus is after this morning. Antley, it breaks my heart when you forfeit your soul to the world. When you try to provide for your family. When you try to take care of everything. When you try to carry the burdens that I've died to free you from, it's like you're giving the heart that I've died for back to the world. Will you trust me with your finances, Antley? Will you trust me with your time? Will you trust me with your children? Will you trust me with your wife? Will you trust me with your job? Will you trust me with the church? Because when you choose not to, the enemy, the enemy, takes that part of your heart and destroys you. It doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't love me. It doesn't mean that I'm not saved. It's what it feels like, though. Restlessness, chaos, turmoil, pain, suffering, all those things that we were praying earlier in worship. Jesus wants freedom from us, freedom for us, Freedom from worry, from stress, from pains, and from burdens of the world. Surrendering Jesus, giving to Jesus our heart, giving generously in our finances, living generously, giving him our time, time is an opportunity for us to experience freedom in that area. The only way we can experience freedom in giving is by giving. It's the only way. It's one of the true litmus tests of what we trust, what we say we believe. Now, the amount is between you and the Lord. There's no prescription. There's no prescribed percentage. The Old Testament was 10%. Some teachings that talk about 30%. But even in the Old Testament, the way that they gave was so that they were dependent on God to provide for them. And that's what God wants. He wants you to give in a way that you have to trust him.
with your finances? What good is it that you gain the whole world, but you forfeit your soul? It's not a threat from Jesus. It's a truth. Jesus knows that we forfeit our soul, what is most important to us when we live and trust in the riches of the world. This morning is an opportunity to get back from Jesus what he's died to give us, freedom in this specific area of our finances. So giving card, what we're going to do is we're going to give you a chance to fill out your information, fill out what is it that I feel like God wants me to give to the church this year. And we believe that pledging is the best way forward. That doesn't mean that we're going to follow up or check on you or anything like that. But we believe that pledging, when you pledge, you're, you're saying, Lord, I'm going to pledge this amount with the expectation that you're going to show up and provide for me in my life. Now, if you make $20,000 a year and you pledge $20,000 a year, that's not very wise. Unless you feel like God has said that to you specifically. Okay? And I'm not going to prescribe to you any formula. I would just say this, though, that as you're growing as a Christian, your giving should grow. And, and your trust should be growing. And I'm not talking about amounts. I'm talking about leverage, trusting more, believing more, hoping more in the Lord, finding more freedom in the Lord. If we're in adolescence as a church, then our giving should reflect that. And so the way that the card works is this just, it just says, I'm pledging to giving a total of whatever, under that white line. You fill that out. You fill out all this information. Even if we already have it, it lets us know who you are. put you in our database. And so we're going to give you some time now with some music to pray, to thank. You're going to fill out the card, and then we're going to have a worship song. And we're going to respond in worship, and the ushers will be in four places. And we'd love for you to take your giving, your pledge card, and place those in there. Okay, this is something for you. Yes, Jody. And we have extra cards and pens. If you need them, just raise your hands and you can get them. There's every other seat, but we should have, we have, ton, we have thousands of these. They've rained from heaven. And so, Jody, what do you want people to do? Raise their hands? Let, pe- let us know? Okay, that'd be great. But right now we're going to have some music. So we're going to respond in worship, put our pledge cards in, and then go right into ministry. And we'll leave that time, give people an opportunity to receive prayer. Not prayer for finances, but prayer for freedom. Prayer for freedom. This is about freedom today. And we'll be talking more about this next week as well. Father, we pray that you come now through the power of your spirit. That in this area of our life where we've been created for freedom, we would find it. We pray, Lord, that you would restore what the enemy has taken. Parts of our heart that we've entrusted to the world. Areas of our life that we feel burdens in. And specifically this area of finances. We pray that you would bring us freedom in today. Demonstrated by how we give sacrificially to you, how we live for your kingdom at the expense of our own. Come, Holy Spirit, and lead us in this time.